If you will turn with me in your Bibles, we will press on in Mark, or in chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, there in verse 14. And you'll follow me if you would. Uh, I will read the section we'll be in from 14 to 29. Beginning there in verse 14 of Mark 9, it says, When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, this is Jesus, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive him out, but they couldn't. And he replied to them, that is, Jesus replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And so they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute Deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Deuteronomy 11, 11, it says, But the land you're entering to possess is a land of mountains and valleys. The land you're entering to possess is a land of mountains and valleys. And we know that Israel had a hard time taking possession of the promised land that God had put in front of them to take possession of. Just as we've read here the last couple of weeks, uh, last week, Exodus 24, this week, Brent read and prayed in response to Exodus 32. Here we are in Mark 9, and what we see is that the uh, Peter, James, and John, the three disciples and Jesus, came down off of this mountaintop experience, the, the transfiguration, right? We talked about that last week, amazing as that was, they come down from that mountaintop experience and here they enter into a scene of chaos. In one day, right, in one day the disciples, think of it, in one day disciples can move from the glory of heaven to the attacks of hell, right? In one day Jesus' followers can move from the glories of heaven, they're at the transfiguration, right, to the attacks of hell, do you see that? Do you see that in the text? Do you see that in your own life? Do you see that in your own walk with Jesus? Our students, I think of them when I reflected on this. 
our students and some adults that, that went on this short-term mission trip last week for, for many of you that just spoke and others that didn't have the opportunity but would gladly do so. For many of you, today you feel closer to God because of that mountaintop experience in some ways that you had there on that mission trip. And praise God for that. Praise God for those mountains, right? We embrace those mountaintops, those, those transfigurations, those, those moments where the glory of God seems brighter to you, that you can just reach out and touch it. We embrace those, we pray for those, and I would say we pursue those, right? But it's easy, and this is where we have to guard, it's easy to come back, to come off the mountain, and to allow the, the attacks of hell to burst your bubble, right? Uh, it's easy to have that spiritual high experience a death blow, if you will, to go from God is awesome to where is God? We can go from the glory and the bright days of walking with Jesus, feeling invincible to getting hit with the fiery darts of hell, and it leaves us wondering, how can we go on? I know you have felt that. And it's true of all of us, right? And if I ask you, you probably would see several hands go up if I ask you to raise your hand if you have felt the attacks of hell this week. Is that what we see in this passage that I just read? Maliciously, maybe this week, maybe some of you were maliciously or carelessly slandered by someone. I would say that is an attack from hell. Certainly hell rejoices in that. Slanderous attacks, right? Maybe this week your, your home was attacked in some way by hell's lies. Children, grandchildren, spouse, adopting in some way the values, lies, ideas of hell, the foolishness of hell, which actually we could just say, put it short, what are you talking about, the foolishness or the lies of hell? What are you, well, the wisdom of this world, right? The wisdom of this world where hell's lies are treated as wise right and it's important and we see it clearly here in a very uh, graphic display of the impact of hell there when a demon takes possession but what we see in that is that the attacks of hell kill and destroy the attacks of hell kill and enslave and so I think we also see though here in this passage is how do we guard against that how do we guard against this cycle that we can get in where we, we have this movement from the glory of heaven uh, to the attacks of hell and then the attacks of hell sort of winning, okay, and, and deflating us spiritually and stealing our joy and making it difficult for us to press on? The answer I think we see in this passage is twofold, believe and pray. Believe and pray. We could say this, attack your unbelief. How? With prayer. Undergird your faith. With prayer. Resist prayerlessness. How? Resist prayerlessness. With prayer. Battle your unbelief. Right? How? Dispel your unbelief. By living out what you do believe. 
I hope we see that in the passage. I'm going to press on and try to press forward quickly this morning. And I hope we get into all of these things. The healing of the possessed boy. I'll give some summary statement though in case we don't and have to cut short. But the healing of this possessed boy demonstrates what faith expressed through prayer could have accomplished even though Jesus was absent from his disciples. We see that in verse 29. You see, we can guard against the attacks of hell when Jesus is absent by, when Jesus is absent by believing and praying. In fact, right for us, physically, Jesus may be absent, in fact, is absent, but he is with us still through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. What a gift, a gift he promised, a gift he told his disciples there to wait on. There is one coming, right, after me. And we have access now to the power and presence of Christ. The healing of the possessed boy displays a lot of this for us. We see in the first, in our first point, looking at verses 14 through 19, we take our first point from that section if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. There you see it on the back of your bulletin. Jesus grieves when our unbelief limits the ministry he gives. Jesus grieves when our unbelief limits the ministry he gives. Verse 14, when the disciples, when they came to the disciples, that is, Jesus, Peter, James, and John came off the mountain, they saw a large crowd around the nine other disciples. It says there in verse 14, and the scribes disputing with them, 15, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him, and he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, he, was, he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive him out, but they couldn't. And he replied, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? So no sooner that Jesus and his disciples come off the mountain and there they enter into this chaotic situation. What is the chaotic situation? Nine disciples fail to minister and put on display the gospel authority that they have been commissioned with in Christ. Right? That's intense. And it makes sense that the Lord would give them trouble about that or be grieved by that. And that's exactly what we see. We see that we grieve Jesus when we fail to show the power that he has given to us to, to minister to others. How sad, right? This boy here is in a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. And his father's hands are tied. His father is trying to do everything that he can possibly do to care for his son as, as any good father, or even just decent, halfway decent father would do. But he, he, he can't provide for his son what is needed. Right. And the demon was destroying his son. Right? The attacks from hell wreaking havoc on his life, and the disciples should have been able to help. In fact, we see earlier and talked about it in Mark 6, 7, they were commissioned for this very thing. 
You know, they were committed for this. It says over in Mark 6, 7, it tells us that Jesus sent out these guys in pairs and gave them authority. It specifically says it. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He commissioned. They were commissioned by Jesus to minister in this exact way. Yet here we see they were ineffective. Why? Well, verse 19 tells us. Unbelief. The disciples, unbelief. It's interesting, actually, isn't it? How Jesus classifies his own followers. See it there in 19, right? His followers, his key disciples, they're in the process, of course, we understand that. They're in the process of learning and following. They're in the process of learning who Jesus is. But they've come a long way, so it's surprising how even at this point in the ministry, In their ministry together with Jesus, it's surprising, I think, that he classifies his own disciples as part of, and I quote, the unbelieving generation. That's stunning. Calling them out for their unbelief. He is grieved by their unbelief. And we see why. We see why. Because he has compassion. He has compassion for this This father and compassion for this kid. And he gave them the tools to step in there and do for this father and do for this child what was needed to be done. But the disciples were ineffective. They couldn't do the thing that they were commissioned to do. And what does this failure communicate? What were they all disputing about with the scribes? I wonder. We just read about it. They were disputing with the scribes. I, I suspect it was something related to the failure. Surely their failure in this moment, that is the disciples, opened the door for attacks and criticism of their new faith and commitment to Jesus. In verse 16, to jump back there, in verse 16, Jesus questions them and asks them what they are arguing about. And verse 17, the father answers, Well, I brought my son. He has this unclean spirit in him. And your disciples, I asked them to drive it, and your disciples can't get it done. So that's the topic of conversation. In verse 19, Jesus pins the unbelief, pins all of this, the disciples' inability, that is, to minister in the way they were called to minister. He pins it on their unbelief. What did their failure communicate to the Father? So we can imagine some things. We won't take time to go into it. What it maybe communicated to, to the surrounding people, the crowd and the scribes and others. But what did their failure communicate to the Father? One thing that is clear is that it gave people reason to doubt. I think it gave the Father reason to doubt. And we see that in the text. See, I think when when Jesus' followers have unbelief about what he can do, I'll just ask, like, think of that in your own mind right now. How do you think that impacts those who are weaker around us? When when Jesus' disciples, when Jesus' followers, you and I, have unbelief about what he can do in people's lives and homes and hearts, How do you think that impacts those who are weaker in the faith or those who have yet to have faith? 
It certainly doesn't draw them in, right? My doubt, right? Your doubt, my faithlessness, your faithlessness gives the enemy opportunity to sow more doubt, to sow more hopelessness. And that's scary to think about it, how much responsibility we have as Jesus' followers, as his church. See, in Jesus' absence, one of the things we see too is that hell was very present, wasn't it? A lot of, of things we could say about our responsibility to minister and how we are equipped to minister, what we see here in the text, and what happens when we fail to minister. Man, the, the consequences of failing to minister are devastating, folks. Like, think of the absence of Christ. Think for a second, maybe we just have time to meditate this morning just a little bit on uh, what this world would be like without Jesus. Right? What would this world be like without his church? Well, look at the boy. Look, look what happens there with the boy. The demonic spirit. We see the, the seriousness of life without Jesus and how the spirit has seized and gripped these violent convulsions, the foaming of the mouth, the involuntary gnashing of teeth, the rigidness followed by utter exhaustion, all these things, the, the violence of seizures. The, the point here is, and even later in the text, we see just the, the destroying of the, the attempt is to destroy this individual you imagine, this is the attack of hell. This is life without Jesus, right? Imagine Jesus totally pulled away from our world. The church totally pulled away from this world, right? And, and we, I think we see it here in the text in verse 20, 22, 26. Uh, the, the, the demon tried to destroy this, this boy by hurling him into fire. In water, that one commentator says that this indicates that the purpose of demonic possession is to distort and destroy the image of God in man. Do you see right now, do you see right now any attacks like that going on in our culture? They're attacks of hell, right? Where, where there is an attempt... Right, and I think it's demonic. It doesn't. It looks prettier than demon possession sometimes, right? And we can be deceived by it. But there is certainly an ongoing attempt from way back then, and it continues today, to destroy, to destroy and distort the image of God in man. And we see it here. That is an attack from hell. Picture a world without Jesus. This morning, picture a world without Jesus. You know, and I want to read something I came across 
thinking about this. It's actually a, a, a tweet by another pastor that I came across long ago. You know, the world liked to have us think, the world liked to have us think that, that, that the church and, and Jesus is really just kind of bad for everybody, right? Uh, and, and certainly, you think of the Roe v. Wade right now and the passing of that. There's a lot of people ups, very upset with Christians right now because of that. And so we can see it. The, the world, by and large, the wisdom of the world thinks that the church and Jesus is bad for everybody. Here's some of the things they might say. Culture might claim something like evangelicals aren't really pro-life. They're just pro-birth. They don't care about babies after they're born. Well, let's look at the data. The data says Christians adopt more children than any other population segment, more than doubling the norm. Picture the world without Jesus. Culture says the church is sexually repressive and anti-sex. You've probably heard it critique the purity culture, right? And so it's talking. So the culture says, man, the church, be careful, students. Be, be careful, everyone. The church is sexually repressive. But data says that church-going conservative Christians are in a category with the most fulfilling sex lives. You don't hear that, right? Culture says the church is emotionally repressive and destructive to your mental health. Well, data says that regular church attendance dramatically improves your mental health. The only people in the U.S. whose mental health improved in 2020 was regular church attenders. Picture a world without Jesus. You see, demonic, it's demonic. It's an attack from hell. And culture... Evangelicals don't care about the poor. They just care about political power. Data, church-going Christians are exponentially more generous to the poor with both time and money, more so than the rest of the population. Culture, the church is oppressive to women. It's a tool of the abusive patriarchy, and it creates toxic relationships for women that's the cultural lie. It's interesting. You see even some of the church getting wrapped up and tangled in this lie. But the data says that Christian gender and traditional gender, traditional gender and church-going women are in the happiest relationships in America and abuse decreases by 50% in this category. The point here is the data shows that church attendance significantly decreases the abuse of women, right? Picture a world without Jesus. You have culture saying things like the church is morally backwards and bad for society. Data? Well, data shows that the church is good for society, and the higher the church attendance, the lower Burglary, larceny, robbery, assault, homicide, etc. You know, the, the attacks of hell will try to get us off track. I could keep going there. 
and distort what Jesus can, has, is doing through his people and his church, right? But without, here's what we have to take away from some of that. Where are we in that, right? Each of us has to ask this individual question, where are we in that? Without his church stepping out in faith-filled ministry, right? We are bad. (laughs) We are useless. We must continually live in faith and repentance, always checking our hearts and looking to make the sacrifice, looking to live, carrying our cross, disciples under pressure, okay, in order to carry out the ministry that he has called us to. Our culture is desperate, regardless of what They are vomiting out of their mouth because they have been gripped by hell's agenda. The fact is that they will remain in desperation without Jesus. And we, church, are to help shine the light of Christ so they will see that they are desperate without Jesus. You know, I have someone in my life right now that she would not let me talk to her about Jesus. She would not let me step foot. On her property, she wants nothing to do with me. What can I do in that situation? Well, we do the most powerful thing we can do. We pray. We pray. Sadly, we do not do the work of prayer. And I think this text points us in that direction. You see, the, the easiest fleshly thing to do is in the face of the attacks we face from hell. Like what we see very vividly in this passage, the easiest thing for each of us to do is to grumble, complain, and not believe that God can overcome. How are you approaching your ministry, Christian? Are you approaching your ministry as if you serve an absent Jesus? Let us receive the exhortation this morning. You unbelieving generation. As his church, we must be sure we are not included in that critique. Amen? But we must not assume. He directed this at his own disciples. You unbelieving generation. Usually when something like that starts, the, the church steps out of the way for that critique. And tries to point with Jesus to everybody else. But that's coming For us to receive the exhortation, reflect this morning, right? I encourage you this morning to do that. I encourage you this morning to confess if you are lacking in faith, if you are lacking in trust, if you are lacking in belief in God. Are you struggling this morning? Ask yourself, are you struggling this morning? Think of it very basically. Just with the... the, circumstances of life, the situations of life can bring us into difficult valleys, can't it? You know these valleys, right? You know these valleys. In that valley, are you struggling to look to Him to sustain you? In that valley that He has you in, are you struggling to to look to Him now to provide for you? And even in context with our passage, are you struggling, Christian, to look to Him, 
Right. To look to him to equip you for the ministry that he's called you to. Mark 10, 27 says, with man it is impossible, but not with God. Now, I don't know what you're facing today. Man, can you imagine facing what that father was facing? I mean, think of it. He asked the, the father, how long has this been going on? And the father said, since childhood, man. You think of, think of where your mind might go into all the different options that you might consider taking as a father. I, I mean, maybe it's better if I just go ahead and, and put my son out of his misery and then take my own life too. He said, who would think like that? Without Jesus, all kinds of options come into your head. Imagine that. And I know some of you are struggling this morning. And hear it, hear it in Mark 10, 27. With man it is impossible, but not with God. But not with God. We move into our second point this morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach till one. Right? We'll see how the Spirit closes us out today. I'm still not sure. I'm just pressing on. It feels right. And we'll keep doing so. We take our second point. From verses 20 through 24, there we see Jesus helps us overcome our unbelief. They brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And there we see Jesus asking that question, how long? How long has this been happening? And the father answers from childhood. And look at all the terrible things that it's done to my son. And he lists them. Right? He lists them out. And, and here's, what I, here's what I want us to key in on there. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us. You take notice of that, church. He's talking to Jesus. Right? So we ask ourselves earlier, when we fail to embark and step out in faith in the ministry that Jesus called us to, see what it does there? It creates doubt in the father, in the boy, in the boy's father, excuse me. It created doubt. And so there, in that, I think that doubt is seen there. He says, if you can, right? Man, can you imagine? I'm thinking of it now. Someone, the, the worst thing I can do for you, right? You come in to, to sit with me there over at my office, and you are struggling in your life with, with something. And sometimes it is hard, right, because I, I sense the battle with you. I, I see the struggle with you. Oh, but if I can't give you hope, if I can't have you leaving just hoping, right, and seeing that in Christ there is still hope in your struggle, if, if I can't, then, then I, am, I am useless, right, as a minister of the gospel. And I think we have to put that to all of us who claim the name of Christ, there is, if we are in Christ, no matter who, no matter what kind of, of battle or struggle somebody shares with you, if you are in Christ, you can encourage them to hope. Because with God, right, nothing is impossible. And so even if a man like this was to come with you to you with a son like that, I mean, you could give them hope. And we have to hold that. 
We have to remember that. We have to recall that. We have to lead with that. Lord, help us. Help us in our unbelief, we pray. And we see here the, the Father say, if you can. And Jesus is, and, and there's a nice exchange here. Right? You see the Father, Jesus is asking questions and the Father answers. There is this, and, and I would like more time, but we don't have it today, talk about this exchange and, and Jesus' compassion. Yet, when the Father says, if you can, Jesus ignores a lot of the other parts of the conversation. And what's the first thing he says there in verse 23? If you can? You know how there's sometimes when people say something in a conversation and, and there's lots to talk about in that conversation and, and you want to respond to all the good stuff that they've said, but they just said something in there and you're like, I can't let that go. I can't. I mean, sometimes you can, but this was one of those things. Jesus like, I I mean, I wanted to respond to how you're doing, like this is happening since child, and I wanted to, you know, have some of these other, you know, more interactions, but you just said, if you can. And, you know, and, and so he, I think Jesus is put off by that just a little bit. What do you mean? And he says it to him, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately, look how teachable the father is. Look how, te can we be teachable this morning? Look how teachable the Father is. I do believe. I do believe. Help my unbelief. You know, sometimes that's, that's all we have. Right? I do believe. Anybody ever found themselves saying that to the Lord? Oh, I have. Numerous occasions. I do believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus helps us overcome our unbelief. Jesus helps us overcome our unbelief. How natural it would be, how reasonable it would be, if you're in that father's situation, to believe there's no hope for life, no hope for, for joy in this situation, because Satan had just sucked all the life and joy away. So he's asking, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Hmm. How hard it can be. I love how teachable the Father is and how the Father responds in faith. We should take note of that. That statement is weak, isn't it? Doesn't it make you think of the faith of a mustard seed? Right? It's small, its faith is small. And he doesn't pretend it's not, oh, does he? He's honest, man. He's like, I, I want to go with the, with the part of me that believes you can do something. And that's what that is. Like, there's this huge part of me that, that just doesn't get it, isn't connecting, isn't sure, isn't certain, is scared to even hope right now. But there's this other small part of me that just wants to step out and say, you can do it. Right? With God, all things are possible. And so we have to ask, help God. Help me step out into that lane. All right? Help me step out into that lane. And he does. He does help. And he shows us that everything is possible for the one who believes in Jesus. Jesus helps us overcome our unbelief by doing impossible things. 
You see, say, well, what kind of impossible things? There's an impossible thing in my life right now that he hasn't accomplished. Well, this is where you look at the impossible things that he has accomplished. Okay? Look at the cross. And this story causes us to look at the cross. Here we see, as it says there in the text, that when Jesus goes to, to cast the demon out of him, it, he became uh, like a corpse. And he died. And here we see that Jesus' divine ministry brings life. What a privilege, Christian, it is that we have to usher in this type of life to our immediate family. Hear that? Hear that, dads? Hear that, husbands? We have the privilege in Christ to usher in the ministry of life. Why? How? Well, Right, this is a picture for the disciples of what would happen. How this is a picture, this power over this demonic force and these other miracles were picture of how Jesus would dethrone Satan, right? And and put a stop to, right? Disarm as it says in Colossians, disarms the the rulers and authorities that come at us from hell. Right? And so here we are, equipped, equipped to minister the divine with the divine authority of Christ. Because we find ourselves, if we are believers in Christ and we look to his cross for the forgiveness of our sins, we find that he shares with us this ministry of life. And I pray, church, that we would be faithful to share this ministry of life with others. And the last thing we see is this challenge to pray. Right? Jesus is dethroning of Satan there at the cross. His dethroning paved the way so that we can successfully minister in his name. But there are things that we will face. There are things that we are facing that we will not, that you will not be able to overcome without prayer. And sadly, I think sometimes in our spiritual life, I think much like these disciples, they had lots of success in their first little missionary journey going out in the name of Jesus and seeing him do all kinds of things, right? And, and what they got away with was a, was a life of ministry that was weak with spiritual discipline, a life of ministry that had little prayer. And so when they needed some more substance, when they needed uh, more power, they didn't know what to do because they hadn't cultivated a life of dependency on God, right? Y'all, we have to cultivate in the ministry that he's put us to, the things he wants us to do, the people he wants us to encourage, the, those in bondage that he wants to use us to help set free, okay? We can't do any of those things until we learn to be people of prayer. 
Because we have to have his power, right? The, the, the work that he's called us to isn't always and, and often is not just about informing someone of some facts about God's goodness, right? We need access to a spiritual power that is beyond us. And we see that here because the attacks of hell are real. And if we're going to overcome the attacks of hell that are real, that are coming at us, right? We need the power of heaven. And the, we have access, praise God, in Christ who is our mediator. We have direct access to the throne room of God. His ear bent our way to this little church, right? He is waiting for us to call on him so that he might act and deliver what is needed for the work that he's called us to so he can accomplish it right here in this place. So let us call out. Amen? Let us call out, right, for the power of heaven, right, to come against the power of hell. And we will see a victory his resurrection proves that victory, right? It secures it. He has done the work there at the cross, dethroning all rulers, right? Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. There is much we have not touched and we ask that your spirit will go in front of us this week as we dive in, look in, and pray and read through, God, that you will continue to pierce our heart with the truth from this text. And that you, by the power of your spirit and the, the active authority of your word, will pierce into the depths of our minds and souls so that we can receive the transformation and the new commitment that is needed in our life. And so we ask for help. We know that we need help, Jesus. And we ask in your name, Jesus, that you will bring the help, the conviction that is needed. Protect us, we pray, from the attacks of hell. Give us wisdom, we pray. As we discern our way through this life. And keep us active in faith. Steer us away from apathy and stagnation. Holy Spirit, we call and ask that you will help us to grow in faith. And to grow in the discipline of prayer. As we humbly confess our need for you. To activate the power of heaven through the ministry of this church. In Jesus' name, amen.